welcome to Stubbornly Optimistic episode, blah, I don't know what episode this is, um, probably depends what order I put it out in. The podcast are all about people and what keeps people keeping going. And today we welcome back a regular guest on the show, Richard Jefferson of the TMR Mindset. Hello, Richard. Hello, good to be back. Yeah, coming back again. You're a glutton for punishment, aren't you? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is part two. We're going to do part two of... Um, Learning. We were getting into, at the end of our last recording session, we were getting into the, 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 the subject of learning. How do you learn this stuff? Yeah. Um, which I guess is the, the difference between um, inspiration and application. You know, how, do we, how do we form a habit? I mean, um, you're, you're a great sort of proponent of, is that the right word? Proponent? Exponent? I think it's exponent. Of doing this. Yeah. You know, the five o'clock at the gym, you know, five o'clock up and at the gym for quarter to six and stuff like that. How did you build the habit? Um, it's probably as simple as I recognise that there's value in forming that habit in the first place. Right. So that's likely what it boils down to. And it's, I knew if I got up earlier, I'd have more time on a morning, mm-hmm. which meant more time, let's say, in the gym. Mm-hmm. And then from that, it meant, right, if I get up even earlier, it means I'll have the same amount of time in the gym and then time to do mm. this kind of stuff the speaking stuff the motivation whatever it might be whatever yeah. task challenge mm-hmm. volunteer mm. work I've potentially got to to sort out yeah. so I, th- I think that's what it was was recognising the value and then putting in the graft to form what's essentially a good habit in the first place right okay because there's, there's the the theory that it takes about about six weeks I think it is. I can't remember. It's three, three to six weeks to actually ingrain a habit to, to mm. this new, this new <coughs> set of normal, if you like. Um, you've mentioned that a, a big influence on you recently has been this platform Whoopal. Yeah. Which is what was the guy's name? Uh, again? Paul Cummins. Paul Cummins. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm interested to something that dropped out of that, and I, I made a note of it earlier. Um, if you could interview one person in your in your field, be it marketing or you know this positivity stuff, mm. if you could interview one person, who would it be and why? Who is it really, really, really inspires you? Hmm. Um, you'll have to edit this bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling that might work um, on that one. Yeah. So this is actually quite difficult. If it was someone in the field of motivation and down that kind of strain, I honestly don't know because I crowdsource so much right. from so many different places. Yeah. And there's a guy called Tom Tom Bilyeu? Yes. Yeah. I believe is his name. Yeah. Uh, Impact Theory yes. is his channel. Yeah. He's very good and he does a lot of interviews himself. So I think it would be nice to turn the tables and mm-hmm. speak mm-hmm. to him. Now he I say preachers, but he's he puts out a message of all this. You know, you got to surround yourself with these things, and he worries that you'll listen to what he says, and then it's just a declining arc from there mm-hmm. that goes back down. And before you know it, you're back to sleeping in on a morning or whatever bad habit it might be. So my he would probably be a nice one to understand what made him start doing it in the first place. Yeah, and yeah. W- whether there's a video or a background on that, I've never sorted out, but. I think to hear his story might be quite interesting because mm. a lot of the people in areas that I've started to go into, I've never gone into the background of them. 
Right. I've just listened to enough of it and thought, yeah, you and I are on the same page. But what might be nice mm-hmm. research would be to find out what made them yeah. get well, onto that page in the first place. Because this is something that um, one of my other guests, Polly, and I were talking about. There's always whoever's doing a coaching thing. Um, and this is seems to be true of, of any coach that I've come across over the years. There's always a backstory. Yeah. There's always a reason why. There's that acorn moment, you know, of um, why am I doing this? For you, was it 11-year-old Richard, you know, on the football field going, I'm not going to lose, you know. Yeah. Um, for other people, it might be a different story. So um, I, was just, I just thought I would, I would throw that out there. So Tom's one, one massive influence. Um, what about if we take it out of that, that motivational side of things? Is there anyone that, that, that comes to mind in terms of... Uh, yeah, um, if we were to go... Because I've, na- I've found the acting profession right. to be an interesting one to start looking into in mm. terms of people who are motivators and inspirers. And, because I would imagine a lot of people just don't grasp how hard it is to mm. be an actor or an actress mm-hmm. in that you are continuously under scrutiny no matter what it is you're doing mm-hmm. now I've just finished reading uh, Postcards from the Edge right. uh, Carrie Fisher's first book or right. one of mm-hmm. her earlier books anyway mm-hmm. and it's a fascinating insight into that whole world of that you can go somewhere looking like what Carrie Fisher used to look like as Princess Leia yeah. and be told you don't look good enough for this role but it's not so much don't look good enough but don't match what they were after Yeah, and that's the way like oh no you you didn't look right for the part and be mm. like someone's just told Princess Leia that you didn't look right for the part <laughs> yeah <laughs> when you look, that? Yeah, when you look at that? it now yeah, and it's a case of I mean, Carrie Fisher may not be the best example of this because she was obviously born into a from famous parents anyway, and that life was maybe in a lot of ways expected or thrust upon her yeah, in some way, shape, or form, which may be why she didn't handle it as well as other people have done in that profession. I mean, she's, she was fairly open about that yeah. drug and other abuse problems and whatever else. But flip that around to someone like Leonardo DiCaprio whose stuff I do listen to, I think I've shared YouTube playlists with you before that just include his acceptance speeches and the humility yes. that comes with that. You've mentioned him because yeah. you're a big fan of Titanic. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, um, so he's, has he got a bit of a... I, I haven't followed him particularly, but has he got a bit of a, a work ethic in sort of rags to riches? Story? Yeah, well, this is it. In one of his, or a few acceptance speeches, he talks about thanking his parents uh-huh. for driving him across state lines to get him to auditions because he wanted to be in this role and that role. And he mm-hmm. thanks Martin Scorsese and all these other people, and it's the humility that comes with that. He's very much thank you to all of these people. Yeah. But then... Ask people about Leonardo DiCaprio who don't particularly know him that as this other person in the in like the environmental stuff mm-hmm. and the you know, global warming issues that he's always been very much involved in. Mm-hmm. People aren't aware of this side of things and they just say, "Oh, oh the, the guy who parties on the yacht with uh, <laughs> with with all the women and stuff," yeah, and yeah. The, oh, the one who's dating that twenty-two-year-old in his forties. I'm like, uh. Let's be honest, none of us would complain of that life. Exactly. You'd but, be like, well, okay. 
and I think a lot of people just see that side of it whereas what it comes down to is that he grafts and grafts and grafts for these things mm-hmm. and, th- and a lot of these actors throw themselves in all these roles and are just relentless in making sure that they get it. Yep, I got it in yep, there. You got it in there. Every podcast, that's your challenge now. Every single Every podcast. podcast. It will be hard. It nope. will be a hard challenge. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so interesting to hear you say that because I'm, I'm a frustrated guitar player and, and wannabe drummer. And, um, and I, my, I have a similar thing when I read the backstories or listen to the backstories of musicians. Um, there's always a story of struggle there's always a story of it's not me it's a team effort um, and even today Brent Smith from uh, Shinedown doesn't do many interviews but they're, they're, they're doing a promotional thing for their new album and it's a similar story yeah. you know it's that work ethic it's that just don't give up of course and some people will have a natural talent for some of these things but yes. I think too often it's put down to oh that they, they were just naturally good at that. It's like, mm. I think you'll find there was probably hours and hours went into getting that good at something. Will Smith yeah. says in a, uh, an interview that I've watched before where he's on about a treadmill and he's saying, you know, if uh, when it comes to getting roles and achieving a goal, mm-hmm. and the analogy he uses is this treadmill, and he says, if you and I are on a treadmill together, you will either stop first or I will die on that treadmill before I stop. And it's just like, this, and this is Will Smith, whereas anyone who hears Will Smith, or a majority of people who hear the name Will Smith, are like, oh yeah, the Fresh Prince, they are, he's done well for himself. Mm. And you think, well, yeah, he has. But he worked and worked and worked at it. Yeah. Now, I don't know the full extent of how it all came about, but I'm sure with some of the money he earned from Fresh Prince, he bought rights or producer rights to that same series and made himself more of the star of the show so it wasn't a case of he struck lucky and that was that he then invested in himself Mm. and invested in that show and kept that show there was something along those lines that it wasn't as simple as they just continued to make it all about the Fresh Mm. Prince as in Will Smith he ensured his success with that. Yeah, there was a decision process behind it and and if not something of a plan but certainly a (laughs) A level of um, of planning, yeah. you know, and forethought, um, and like I say, that's why I think actors, in terms of motivation and going after goals and successes, yeah, in a lot of ways are underrated. Again, for a final example, Christian Bale, yeah, is the machinist. Mm-hmm. To then Christian Bale in, let's say, Dark Knight, mm. or that one where he's the boxer. Come what that film's called now. No, I haven't no, seen that one. No, it's gone as well. But he goes from stick thin in the machinist uh-huh. to ripped as anything in Batman to yeah. ripped as anything in another film, and it's just like that isn't natural yeah. talent to just wake up and be like, okay, let's be skinny today. That will be graft, graft, yeah, yeah, solid, yeah. solid yeah. graft. To then still get criticised for it, yeah. and then still be told, oh, yeah, we know he's just lucky, isn't he? Like, yeah. no. <laughs> No. no, no, no. Anyone well, who's tried to lose weight or get the body into a certain shape does not say, oh, I just luckily only had a banana that day and lost. <laughs> it suddenly, suddenly, I had a six pack. Yeah, it just does not work. I mean, yeah. I, I think um, 
I was listening to something about uh, Chris Evans and the, the the Captain America thing. And I mean, your 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 personal mission in the gym, you know, the Captain America body. Yeah. Um, and the the amount of work that these guys, Carl Drogo, the guy that played Carl Drogo in uh, Game of Thrones, is another one. They're just insane in the yeah. gym. You know, and, and it's, this, it's yeah. a full time job just being that fit. And this is, and people say, like, oh, it is easier for them because they love trainers and dietitians and everything else. Like, yeah, they will, yeah. but it's still them putting in the effort. It's still yeah. them, as much as they'll have a dietitian, I bet at some point they're still sitting in their hotel room or wherever they are going, I could just get an ice cream. <laughs> I could. I could. Yeah. Barely certain that I could just get an ice cream right yeah. I could easily. Well, for me, it would be I could be sitting there, cheesy chips and garlic, right now, smash it off my face. <laughs> this, this, yeah. They are bound to sit there and go through those same internal struggles yeah. of wanting the food that they know they can't have because they are training for that role. But yeah. just because they have the dietitians and the personal trainers that come with it mm. does not mean that they are any more advantaged in terms of your mindset yeah, than we are. You've really got to want the role, haven't they? And yeah. really got to kind of commit to it. You know, exactly. Sense. So... Flipping that on its head a little bit, um, it's been said that you know when you when you when you find a way that works, you know what you've done is you've just found ten thousand ways that didn't work before it. Yeah. Um, so a little bit of a loaded question, but I know I do. I, I have a, a particular story that I go back to as a favourite fail hmm. because it becomes a favourite lesson. Is there anything that kind of drops out from that for, for yourself? Favourite fail. Um. I don't know. Obviously, there will be some, but let me think. <laughs> These are good questions today. <laughs> I'll be doing my homework, man. A favourite fail. Yep. All right, here we go. Um, so, uh, failure or life lesson, let's say. Mm-hmm. First year of sixth form. Yeah. I'm re- summoned to our head of year's office I'm 16 and a bit year old so it would be summoned to the head of year's office I'm obviously bricking it yeah yep. yep. sit down in the chair just like Richard I'm like uh huh just like I am um, thinking that you should consider an Oxbridge application and it was just like okay um, right, I haven't heard this story. This right, is new one, new yeah. one me, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's 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 a half claim to fame, but half learning lesson at the same time. Right. So she essentially says that I should consider applying to Oxford and Cambridge. Yeah. Now, at the time, I was like, "All right, yeah, cool, sounds good." I go home. I talk to my parents about it. It's obviously quite the financial application that comes with yeah that side of things. And they said, "Like you know, you can't pass up an opportunity like that. Mm-hmm. You've got to go and do this." Or at least try for it. So this, like I say, this was only first year, of sixth form. So there was AS levels, and then your actual A levels would determine what uni. So there was plenty of time amongst this. So I then went down to Oxford for an overnight stay to see what I thought of the area and whatever else. And quite liked it, but felt like it wasn't quite my kind of area. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know how much I would have enjoyed it, but it was the simple thing of you know. You don't get many chances to go to Oxford or Cambridge. No. Now, in the end, what what would this have been? My AS levels just weren't up to scratch right. in the slightest. So I'd gone from, you should consider an Oxbridge application to, mm. yeah, no. 
Right. And I remember going back to the head of year's office after I got AS uh, results, and it was me who said, like, I'm not going to bother the Oxbridge application. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, I couldn't recommend you do it now anyway. Mm-hmm. And it was that what happened between two months into sixth form yeah. when it was like, right, yeah, you can do this to then what would that be maybe six five six months later to yeah no this isn't an option for you anymore right now the failure well (laughs) the failure that i tell well that i still believe is a part of it as girls okay you discovered (laughs) you discovered the opposite sex all right fine so (laughs) it was it was dating and the new social life and everything else that came with it yeah now at the time it was so go back to secondary school the main focus was studying that's how I was progressing my mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. sixth form it was that same goal studying that's mm-hmm. how I was progressing my life but then alongside that became this self-managed world mm-hmm. where it wasn't teachers telling you to do these things anymore sixth form was a lot more free a lot more open mm-hmm. and then so it was that self-managed life that new social aspect with dating and then just meeting people outside of what had been that same school friendship group for five years yeah. that I think led to me being more like, oh, look at this more exciting world yeah. out this way yeah. Yeah. that would in no way progress career-wise. Mm-hmm. That meant I lost focus yeah. on what was, you know, Richard, you could do an Oxbridge yeah. application. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, hmm, okay. Yeah. And then, so yeah, I think that's a big, not a feel as such, but more of a life lesson that I need to know what the goal is and make sure whatever it is I'm doing stays on that goal because mm-hmm. it was uh, after I got those results there weren't even bad results there were still season B's but it was all A's to mm-hmm. go there and it was just like if I can if I can get season this was the mindset at the time which was part of the problem and I'll quote an exact uh, report that I got from an old maths teacher that I think rang with us rang true with us for a very long time mm-hmm. I think part of the issue I had in sixth form was that I was like, oh yeah, C's and B's without particularly trying. Why should I bother trying for A-levels? It was just that if I can get C's and B's without trying, I'm happy yeah. with C's and B's, yeah. so let's continue yeah. with that. Yeah. And it was, uh, I think, and as much as it may have been an accurate statement, it's a statement that for a long time I bragged about mm-hmm. being able to call myself. And I think it became a bit of a self-promoted did become a self-promoted title but Mm -hmm. provided by someone else and a maths teacher had said to me parents on a parents evening uh richard is brilliant but lazy (laughs) was was the exact words and my mom's brought that up for years and years and years whenever i've been doing something that it's just been like you know you could have done better and my mom will always say i i remember that parents evening yeah richard is very good but he knows it. He's brilliant but lazy. <laughs> and I think that stuck with us for a very long time. Yeah. And even at the uni and whatever else, it was like, oh, well, you know, I didn't really revise for A-levels and pass them. Mm-hmm. So let's see how I do with the first part of like, my degree. Like, if mm-hmm. I don't revise for year one, see how I do. Mm-hmm. And the past year ones, it was like, oh, let's see how I do. And I just never revised. Now, mm-hmm. I'm fortunate with that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, imagine, Richard, just, just take a moment. Yeah. And imagine Where if you decided you not to follow this, he's yeah. brilliant but lazy, and just gone, actually, you know what, I'm good at this, but I could be the best at it mm. if I put in the time and the effort with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's like the that life lesson 
which must have took us about five years to uh, break in the end. To break the habit, yeah. as it were. Because yeah. that was, a, like I say, a self-promoted title. I must have been assigned in like year eight, mm-hmm. 12 year old, 12, 13 year old, mm-hmm. on the academic side, brilliant but lazy. Mm-hmm. Sporting side, I would always be like, no, I can do more, I can do better. I think that's just because sport is instills that competitive nature instead. Yeah. Whereas the academic side was just like, oh, you know, you're uh, you're more than passing. So yeah. that'll do. The bar was kind of there. You'd comfortably got over it, so it doesn't really matter yeah. how high above the bar you are. You just you're over the line. Yeah, you kind of, and and I, I can relate to that because in my my early educational career, I didn't I didn't struggle. Yeah. And I completely get that because I had similar reports. To be fair, I had similar reports. Um, and uh, li- li- the, there's a there's a a bit. I mean, you you came out you came out with the first class honors. I think it was it was two one two one two yeah. one. Um, so you, you've you've obviously got a little more ability than me going on with this analogy. But um, I ended up graduating after taking a gap year. I had like a. Um, I went on like a, to a sandwich course, mm. so I did a year in industry, which was in the NHS, unpaid. I only did it because um, Richard McDermott, uh, <laughs> he he did a sandwich course. Went, oh yeah, I'm getting paid sixteen thousand pounds for my year out. I'm like, I'm having some of that. <laughs> I was in the NHS, I didn't get a penny, so I got royally stuffed. But then I went back. Uh, I failed a year two module. Had to resit it with attendance in year three in my final year. Um, and in the end, that was the biochemistry module that sunk me. So mm-hmm. I didn't get the honours. And I graduated, but I graduated at the bottom of my class, at the bottom of my year group. Yeah. And that was, for me, my favourite fail. Because yeah. I learned very early on, um, in the context of a 40-year lifespan, that um, you can appear to succeed while actually falling short. Yeah. You know. Um, and I wanted to go on and do research that path wasn't open to me because I didn't get the honours. You needed yeah. a 2-1 and above, couldn't get a master's, you know, that educational career kind of cut off and guillotined at that point. Yeah. Um, through, it has to be said, a very similar thing. Discovering girls and that kind of stuff. So, uh, that's a really interesting story because you've never shared that one before. Not to me yeah. anyway. That's, no, that's no, an it, interesting it, one. it definitely comes up every once in a while. The brilliant but lazy will probably be a bit of a theme on a lot of things yeah. that I'll talk about. Is that self-promoted title? Yeah. Is it? Is there an element of you now? Because no one could ever describe you as lazy now. Yeah. Is there an element of that where you're deliberately trying to overcompensate? Maybe. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Just, because every once in a while I'll be like, oh yeah, brilliant but lazy. I'm like, actually, no, yeah, I can still do more. I'm, I'm not the lazy guy. Yeah. That I know I once was. I would happily just be like, do me homework on the morning. Uh-huh. I'm like, right, yeah, that'll pass. That's no problem. Right, yeah, that'll do. No problem. Right, yeah, that. And whereas now I'm like, no, yeah, back at that. Eh? Mm. Go again. Get this done properly. Yeah. And if I am overcompensating, that's fine because I'm still then moving more relentlessly towards those goals <laughs> that's two you only get three per sure that's it that's your maximum that's your top okay so I mean with the, the theme of today is learning yeah. so you know we learn from our failures we learn from things that don't quite go to plan etc and you mentioned um, Tom Bilio. Um if, if we're mispronouncing his name I'll look it up sorry Tom uh, sorry Tom <laughs> yeah if you ever hear this sorry um <laughs> But is there anything that you're currently reading or listening to outside of the Whipple platform that you obviously mm. listen to on a daily basis at work um, 
that is really kind of pushing that 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 need to grow, that need to do something different. Yeah, so I split reading down fiction and non-fiction because I mm. like to read just for the enjoyment of reading. So after I finished Postcards from the Edge, I've started reading uh, all the Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. books. Um, they've been sitting on my Kindle for probably like a year. Right. And then while we're away, we we'll watch the Sherlock Holmes films with Robert Downey Jr. Oh, which, I love them. Which I have seen before, yeah. and I really yeah. enjoyed them. I was like, actually, you know what? I should really read the Sherlock Holmes stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's one avenue I'm going down. Um, which ones? Because is it the collected works of Conan Doyle? Yeah. Done, like, yeah. So there's the original yeah. stories. The whole thing oh. right the way through. So it's yeah. the one I'm reading now is literally the Holmes meeting Watson. Right. From the very beginning, which was like, oh, I'd never even assumed that them two didn't know each other. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, yeah. no, they, they have to have met somewhere. But as, as much as these are fictional characters, what you can pull from that is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So, like, I like the whole how Holmes works out all these little things with the attention to finer details. So that's mm-hmm. something I'm trying to learn and draw more of now. Mm-hmm. Is, well, I was not in a weird way, but I was listening to a conversation in the gym this morning in the sauna. And there was two people that I've seen in there for the best part of four months or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they were having a conversation. And English was not their native language. And I was, and I was listening, I was like... Not so much to the conversation they were having, but just more the the pronunciations and everything else. It was like, I wonder where they're actually from. And like mm-hmm. I tried to deduce like small parts of where they were picking... Like, what if there was... The way they were pronouncing words, if I kind of recognise where that. Now I'm no language master in any way, shape, or form, so I fell a bit short of it. But it was nice that I was trying to pay attention to those smaller details to build a bigger picture, mm-hmm. which was quite a nice learning experience. Mm-hmm. So, and that, and this is purely just off reading Sherlock Holmes and the idea mm-hmm. that he really goes down at the minute details of things. Mm-hmm. And it was just like that, that's that's nice to pick up something from what is fiction. Yeah. And it's just like as much as that's fiction. Like imagine if I managed to pick up on a smaller detail that no one else did, and that gives give me an advantage on something. It always, it, to practice that skill, then as much as I'll never get it to that level. <laughs> well, would you? I mean, the thing is, because I've read the Arthur Conan Doyle stuff, and I, I can completely relate to that because it was around about that time for me where I was getting into a diagnostic thought process yeah. in terms of the medical stuff, and it is that attention to detail, knowing what you know a system, a bodily system should be. And what it should present like, and then looking at you, you present it with a bunch of symptoms in diagnostics, and you've got to, got to go, Well, why is that like that? Mm. And there's a mental checklist, you know, and every diagnosis is, uh, is a diagnosis of elimination. It's not this, it's not this, it's not this, it's got to be that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, for all that um, Sherlock Holmes is a fictional character, Conan Doyle's actually writ this, yeah. written this stuff. Yeah. And this is this this way of working things out is quite true yeah. in, 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 you know, um, and you can, I mean, it relies quite a lot on knowledge and assumption, yeah. but it does, it does function. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's fiction. You mentioned that you, you, you split it down. Fiction yeah, so, to so, yeah, so nonfiction at the moment, uh, I'm reading a book written by a Buddhist monk. Ooh. Uh, whose name has completely escaped us? Well, let me just track it down. Mm-hmm. That's I'd be really interested in that one. What's his name? He's a Filipino guy. Fitch Nat Han. 
Okay. Yeah. Right. The easiest. Uh, the book is. Uh, well, let's see. Where's that? Yeah. The Miracle of Mindfulness oh, is the okay. book. Okay. Right. Um, definitely worth a read. Yeah. It's essentially what he's done. It well, what someone has done is compiled uh, letters that he'd sent back home, mm-hmm. while he's been translating papers in France. I believe is where he's at, and he just talks about essentially that being mindful of surroundings and everything else and he mm-hmm. talks about when you're washing the dishes that is what you should be mindful of is the fact that you are in that moment you are washing the dishes mm. and you are washing them to make them clean not you are washing the dishes why didn't I say that to that person I wonder why they didn't talk to me today mm. I wonder why that didn't happen mm. you know it was it was about that clarity and calm that comes with it which was it was quite a nice thought process and he goes through all these different areas with that, and that's essentially what all the entire book is. It's not even a long read. It's a two-hour read, according to Kindle, something mm-hmm. like that. So it's not a, a long or difficult read, but it's just this nice kind of way to ground yourself a bit in what is essentially day-to-day tasks. If you focus on that just being your day-to-day task mm-hmm. and be mindful of what it is you're doing, you can have a nice bit of serenity. You can almost you can almost turn washing the dishes into a bit of meditation. Exactly, that's yeah. exactly what it's about. And he talks about uh, meditative practices and the best ways to do different forms of me- uh, meditation. Now, mm. thankfully, I'd read up on this stuff when I was eleven or twelve mm-hmm. on how to meditate, and it's been something that I've at least had the knowledge in the background to do. And so, the, it's definitely been a thing for me for when there's been like those dreadful days that I've then gone to bed mm. relaxed made everything weightless almost and yeah. start yeah. the next day considerably better than I finished the last one. <laughs> Just to kind of underline things. Exactly, and kind of, yeah. And that's, sort that's of read, to read that, uh, The Miracle of Mindfulness, and for him to talk about those similar practices and then to expand that into other areas, it's just quite nice. Yeah. So as much as I'm being... I'm not going to say it. No, <laughs> I am. As much as I'm being relentless <laughs> with all these goals and everything else I'm trying to do... <laughs> I can at least do them with a calmness that mm. people who are operating without an objective don't seem to manage. Mm. So people who are just trying to get the day-to-day life done yeah. will go around in hysteric panic almost, just mm-hmm. having to do the washing and the shopping and whatever else that comes with it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah, you're doing all that. I'm also trying to change the world. And on top of all that, I'm going to stay calm while I do it. Yeah. It's quite a yeah. nice... To, br- to bring everything back round into a nice sort of... Yeah. Day-to-day life can be hectic. Trying to change the world can be hectic. But I'm going to do it calmly. And it'll probably irritate people to see how calm I'm being about it. And be like, God, he's got his stuff together. Why is he trying to do all this? This is... Yeah, why not? It's it's nice, though, in a sense. I've found this in little little bits and pieces of, uh, of stuff that that very successful people and very um, well-respected people are doing. And when you read, um, I'm guessing it's, this this is a sort of a situation where you've read this this uh, monk's book and it's reaffirming what you already do. Yeah. Which almost kind of goes, you're on the right, you're on the right lines, chap. Just keep yeah. going, you know. Um, and it's nice sometimes when you get that little, it's almost like the universe going, oh, there's, there's a pat on the back. You're in, yeah. you're in the right headspace. Yeah, it's just as nice to read something and learn a new skill or a new way of doing things as it is to read something like, no, yeah, you just keep on going. Yeah. You're on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. I like like that. It's happened a few times. Not 
not all the time, but it's, you read something and go, yeah, did that last week. Right, good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so the last question for today then, just, just to, to, to round up, I guess, the, the, the learning thing. Um, this is a question that I found and I thought, oh, I'm going to chuck that one at Richard. <laughs> See what he does with it, right? Um, what's, what's your out-of-the-box move, i.e., if you were to take yourself out of the comfort zone and do something that's completely alien to you, um, that would help you to grow, help you to, to learn, what do you think it would be? Something that puts me on edge, leaves us a bit yeah. about the whole thing. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I don't honestly know, because whenever I've entered into like a stressful situation or whatever else, I found a way to rationalise it mm-hmm. in a way that calms us back down. Mm-hmm. So let's try and think of something. Uh, if I was asked to be a nude model for a life drawing class. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's classic. <laughs> I think that that would be up there yeah. as a way to have me really push the boundaries on something. Okay. But the it could be coming with this Captain America body thing. Well, this, it this might is happen. This, you this never is it. If yeah. there's any artists out there that want a model, we've got a volunteer. <laughs> but this this is a thing. Um, with this job I'm in now, uh, my manager said before, like, oh, I'm gonna send you to so-and-so so you can do whatever meeting it might be. And I'm like, right, okay. And she's just like, you don't seem worried by that. I was like, well, why Why would I be worried? Like, if someone's agreed to have a meeting with us, they are there to hear what I've got to say. What's it to be worried about? And that's just been one of the like simplest ways that I've ever rationalised why I'm doing something. Mm-hmm. So whenever someone's like, oh, God, I've got to do a presentation. It's like, oh, so you're going to be sitting in front of a room with people who are there to listen to what you've got to say? Yeah. Well, I'd rather that than sit in a room full of people who aren't there to hear what you've got to say. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, like there's exactly. there's a way yeah. to rationalise whatever it is you're doing. And for me, if I ever if there's ever a way to see that I will definitely do something, it's to be scared of doing it. Right. Like that is that if it's something that I've done before, I'm much more likely to sack it off. Right. Because I've done it before. So there's no challenge. So yeah, ex- well <laughs> This this is an example that came across a bit off with the uh, the other scout leaders when we were away last week. Mm. We went to the zoo, right? And they were just like, "Oh, wasn't the zoo good? Oh, I love going to the zoo. Get to see the giraffes. We get to do this. We get to see the lions." And, and like, I enjoy a zoo. Mm-hmm. And once we were done afterwards, they would say, "Oh, no, like we we're chatting on with the scouts and whatnot." And they're like, everyone enjoy the zoo? I was like, ah, "It was all right. I'm not a massive fan of zoos." And like, "Oh, is it the ethical side of things with being in cages and stuff?" I was like. No, not really. In the UK, we're pretty good with the cage side of things, and a lot of these animals have only ever known that life, and mm-hmm. life expectancy is better in zoos and whatever else. But I was like, in all honesty, I'm just not blown away by zoos because I expect there to be those animals there. Like when people get excited because they see a giraffe, it's like, yeah, we're at the giraffe enclosure. <laughs> if I didn't see giraffes, I'd be more interested in what's going on here. Yeah. Like, yeah, but to see a lion, I don't get us wrong, it's cool to see a lion. Mm. But I'm looking at where they're telling me there should be lions. Yes. I'm not. Yeah. It's kind of expected. Yeah. yeah Driving yeah. back from the zoo, we seen a deer in the field. And I was like, oh, God, a deer. You yeah. see that? And they're like, yeah. we've just seen deer. It's like, yes, but they were meant to be there. 
I, do you know this? This happened to me when I was um, that thing about being in the moment. I used to cycle back and forward to work along the dirt walk, which isn't too far from where we where we are. And um, there's a number of times where, when you're coming through a section of it that's that's bordering on a, a large section of woodland, there'd be a couple of deer that would just wander across the path completely nonchalantly, you know. Um, and there was a even further further back in time when I was up in Scotland, there was a stag that happened to be in a clearing in Scotland when I was riding up. And it must be something to do with being on a bike, it's fairly quiet. And you can get relatively close to these animals, you know. And I just, it did strike me at that point that if you weren't just, quote unquote, riding to work, you wouldn't be there, you wouldn't see it. Yeah. You know, and it's that random happenstance of just being there, yeah. you know. So I wasn't, it wasn't like there's a sign saying, deer will cross here, you know, mm. uh, or whatever, or caution deer crossing, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it makes complete sense from, yeah, from that so, point of view. So that's, that's what it comes down to for me is that yeah. if I've got a choice between something I've done before and something mm. I haven't, I will choose the something I haven't. In terms of travel, mm. I've always said that I would attempt not to go to the same place twice. As much as I might have enjoyed the first place, if there's a chance to go somewhere else and experience something new, I'm going to choose that. So is it the unpredictability so that you It's like? the same with this fear. Yeah. If I'm worried or apprehensive and uncertain of what's going to come, I'm a thousand times more likely to then just dive headfirst into it because it's going to be like, well, I can go down that path that I know... It th- I'll have to take left and jump over what will likely be a puddle because it rains all the time uh-huh. or I can go down this one on the right which for all I know there's an active volcano behind that tree <laughs> <laughs> and so it'll be like I'm going to go right because I don't know that way so you actively head towards with with a little bit of self-moderation obviously <coughs> um, to, to kind of protect the downside I guess but you actively head towards uncertainty and and, and fear yeah which yeah. that is purely just being if if I'm not pushing the boundaries of something, what is it that mm. I'm doing? Right. Like I've started saying a lot when people at work or wherever I am will say something along the lines of, "Oh no, I couldn't, I wouldn't be doing that," and I'm like, "Oh, way to live life with a seatbelt on." <laughs> now, as much as a seatbelt does protect you, like that analogy is maybe a bit off to be like, "Oh no, complete go completely unprotected, mm. crash, fly through that windscreen," <laughs> whatever. Like that's maybe a bit too far, <laughs> but. Poetic license. Yeah. <laughs> we'll give you that one. You know, it's that yeah, weight live life with a seatbelt on. Like you cannot be one thousand percent safe all mm. the time. Mm. And if you choose the exact safe option all the time, you might as well wrap yourself in bubble wrap and uh yeah. sit in a very safe room non stop so all the time. So I guess to wrap this one up then, I think that you mentioned Will Smith, I think the the lesson here, because we're talking about learning, is that if you want to go after <coughs> your dreams, if you want to go after your goals, howsoever they uh, are formed and whatever they look like, um, it seems fitting to to kind of pull that Will Smith quote out of um, the best things exist on the other side of fear. Yeah. So if you go towards it, yeah, it's gonna work, isn't it? Yeah, exactly so, that. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming in again. Was a pleasure. We'll wrap this one up. I've forgotten how. I think we must have done what four, five now, if not six. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah As I said, know. glutton for punishment. Um, <laughs> well, I think that's a wrap for this one. Yep. And uh, if you want to follow Richard on any of the social media links, I'll try and put some of the social media links in the bottom of 
this uh, podcast and also you can find this podcast if you're listening on Anchor you can find it on Spotify and also on iTunes as well I don't know if I told you that no no Um, Spotify iTunes and um, it's on my website um, hosted there but also on Anchor as well so we're all over already we're all over the internet Richard all over the place so thanks very much for listening guys to this two part podcast all about learning Um, just remember if you change the way that you look at things the things you look at often change keep it stubbornly optimistic 